sabbatical. This is actually going to be a sabbatical weekend for me, I think. I felt that driving through the, uh, through the countryside. Uh, I've, I've been on the road for seven weeks, and it hasn't felt like sabbatical at all. So, um, Don't think I'm unfriendly, but I just might walk out of here and go sleep, walk, or whatever, you know. Um, I just need to ask a protocol question. Um, d does my half hour start, Mazare, after I say good morning, or, does, or before? I just feel... <laughs> I, I just, I just feel that amid so many people who believe in grace, that there's, there's room for at least one legalist. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, let me just begin by saying uh, how full of admiration I am that you have such a spiritual retreat, uh, and even invite an outside speaker. Uh, which forces me to confess that in 32 years of church family retreats at Christ our Shepherd, we've never done that. I'm chastened. In fact, in our first year of church life, I, I decided that we did need to get away for just a plain fun weekend together, and that it was actually not to be a deeper spiritual life conference. Uh, the highlight of our weekend is always Saturday night, where we do a Monty Python-style review show. <laughs> in which no reputation is safe. <laughs> and uh, it is open season for making fun of any idiosyncrasy, particularly of pastors, elders, church life in general, preaching, you name it. It's utterly irreverent. And, of course, this really sets up a fantastic uh, extended communion service on Sunday morning <laughs> um, where, where forgiveness really flows like a river. Um, in fact, your format probably explains why you're a deeper spiritual community than ours. Um, of course, the thought occurred to me that if I really blow it this weekend and we have a miserable time, I may be the last outside speaker, uh, and next year you just may have to give a nod to hilarity rather than spirituality. I checked your website as part of my uh, preparation, and fortunately on the advertisement for this retreat, the, quote, encouraging teaching, close quote, um, <laughs> was not the first thing mentioned that you should look forward to. Uh, it was the sixth out of seven things <laughs> that were offered, um, three of which, ahead of it, uh, was food. <laughs> and then I went on to read the blurb about uh, all your leaders and your staff, lovely people. And again, the word foodie and food kept cropping up in a lot of their, uh, their biographies. Oh, and after the retreat, I understand, because I'm meant to be speaking at it, um, you go back to the city for a church service. I ask you this morning, don't ever let anyone from Christ our Shepherd Church hear that. <laughs> I'm really grateful uh, to be with you and to get a sense of your community. Um, thank you for you, your gracious words, uh, uh, Glenn. Um, I can now just talk about him for the next half hour, of course. Um, and I've known Glenn since he came to D.C. I think I had the joy of uh, in, inviting him for breakfast, and we've, we've been friends since then. I've always loved him and esteemed him. I've always been invigorated and encouraged by any time we get together. Uh, and I, the only way I can say it is as a brother, I am just plain holily proud of him. 
I'm a cheerleader of all the Lord has done through him uh, in the city, and you're in evidence. And sometimes he makes me wonder what on earth I've done with my life. Um, but I want to honor also Pastor Mike and uh, Mazare for their excellent help and communications in preparation for this weekend. There must have been at least one occasion after talking with me when they nervously wondered what on earth they had let themselves in for. And for that, we blame Glenn. <laughs> I actually, I listened to Mike's message uh, last week out of Jonah. Uh, I think it was last week, in which he likened Jonah's plight with Glenn sitting at a downtown bar. How many of you heard that? <laughs> After he'd just given a message that had transformed the city. Uh, my thought is that Glenn suggested I'd be invited to speak after one of those late nights when he was not quite himself. <laughs> now, a word of explanation about where we're going uh, over these next three sessions. Um, I don't have half-hour messages, um, <laughs> as some of you know. Um, so I, I, I do want to hit a specific point each section. I want you more to consider these next three sessions as an hour and a half message broken up into three different places. And I'm saying that to say I want to honor the clock. Mazare is going to hold up a card every minute, I believe, <laughs> and make strange noises. Um, but I will stop by the clock if that's all right with you, even if it's in the middle of a century. I'll tell you why. Look, this is a relaxed weekend. We're going to chat through some things, see where we get. If we don't get everywhere, that's fine by me. Um, and uh, not try and squeeze a quart into a pint pot, basically. Um, I want to do a helicopter ride for a few minutes, um, sort of setting up the idea or the conversation. I was led to understand that in the season you're focusing uh, as Glenn shared, on the nature and needs of community family life. And it was suggested that I might teach on matters pertaining to community prayer. And perhaps that was kindly influenced by the fact that my uh, most recent book deals with prayer, just asking, restoring the soul of prayer. Uh, given that Jesus said that where two or three are gathered together in his name, to ask, as the context suggests, I often ask people who the two or three folk are with whom they would preferably want to do that kind of asking. Think about that for a minute. Two or three. Who would you want to do that kind of asking with when push comes to shove? Thinking of anybody? If you're married, I sure hope one of those is your spouse. It's interesting, by the way, I'm, I'm going to get sidetracked. I mustn't get sidetracked. But it's often we, we like you probably, we have, we have gender-based prayer groups as part of the prayer life of that church. You know, the guys meet in quads. Well, that's not two or three. Um, and, uh, or triads uh, or whatever. But it's, all I'm saying, those are all great, but let's, let's hope that doesn't outrun uh, other kinds of, uh, of praying together, especially those of us married guys with our wives. Anyway, I say to folk, two or three, huh? Personally, I think the Trinity is the best threesome going. So I encourage people in teaching prayer to understand prayer as joining a conference call 
that is already in session between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in a way, that's what that asking book is about. It's a Trinitarian theology of, uh, uh, of, uh, of, of prayer. So this weekend, we could have done three sessions on Trinitarian asking, asking in God the Father, asking in the Son, asking in the Holy Spirit. They're all involved. And I love to teach that and do it a lot. But half an hour on each would hardly scrape the surface and would frustrate the tar out of me and challenge my sanctification publicly. <laughs> so, so just get the book and tear out the pages you don't like. What I would not want to do, you see, in a context like this, teaching on prayer with limit, limited follow-up, is, is, is give the idea, the impression, that prayer is just one of many family uh, habits that needs to be cultivated. I would argue that prayer is misrepresented to the extent that it gets treated as a subject anyway, or even as a worthy discipline, week four in the discipleship course, or as a necessary godly activity that you need to do more, rather than as the most explicable manifestation of relational intimacy and the clearest expression of our understanding of the heart of God. It'd be like presenting marital sexual intercourse as week number five in a marriage course. That's why messages about prayer, and even books about prayer, including mine, don't in themselves cure prayerlessness. In any case, prayerlessness is less the absence of prayer than it is the presence of stinking pride. Because presumably lack of prayer means you're managing everything pretty well on your own anyway. Now I did ask your pastor some, because you think I'm now going to talk about prayer. No, I'm not going to talk about prayer, but you'll, you'll see the connection in a minute, I hope. And if not, I'll take another half hour explaining it. I did ask your pastor some questions about the prayer life of your community, most of which, of course, is not visible or even measurable because it's behind closed doors, right? I was told that you do have a corporate prayer meeting. Quickly tell the person next to you when and where it is and when you last attended it. Off you go. Okay. I see from your website, it's once a month on the first Sunday at 4 p.m. in the fellowship hall, in the classroom, on the right. You'll need ways to get there. Um, <laughs> how many of you can hear me actually giving a subtle plug for a prayer meeting? But I think someone commented that not necessarily a lot of people go, maybe only about 15 people or so attended. And I'm pretty sure that is not because the rest of you neither pray nor believe in the non-negotiable power of all community prayer for the church and the city. Just take another moment and share with the person next to you uh, why you don't attend that 4 p.m. prayer meeting on every first Sunday of every month. And I know you are hating me already, but I don't care. I'll 
Okay. So you probably are now relieved that prayer is not going to be my primarily obvious subject, and you're off the hook. But what I want to talk about over the next um, hour and whatever, over the weekend, uh, actually has everything to do with the possibility and the desirability of prayer. So I'm going to talk in and out about a family matter, namely family time. Though it's not going to be quite what you think that phrase normally suggests. I haven't got time to talk about how you should spend family time together. I want to talk about time itself. And I already began by saying I'm going to stop in mid-sentence because there's a flipping clock ticking away. And time is indeed a problem. One of the reasons I travel a lot in the nations is time is not a problem outside the West for the church. Hallelujah. I want to talk about your relationship as a family member with time. And about how your discipleship personally and corporately relates to time and a Christian understanding of time. The fact is that if I was to talk about prayer, that assumes time and right? If we're messed up with the time factor, probably ain't going to happen the way we make all our resolves. Any relationship takes a lot of talk, a lot of trust, and an inordinate amount of time. And for most households, regardless of whether they're married or single, getting family and familiar time is always for us the greatest challenge. And that's no different for the family that we call the fellowship of our church community. So again, in these three sessions, and again, I'm already way behind time, I want to throw out just headlines that relate to time past, time present, and time future. I'll explain in a moment in passing a little more what this has to do with prayer, but because your name as a church is Grace DC, let me at least tell you why this subject is crucial in the understanding of a community like yours that bears that name. What has this subject of time to do with grace? Absolutely everything. This in itself would make an interesting series, but suffice it to say that the grace of God has been and is operative in every dimension of time. It is always available and it is always effectual. And so for the Christian, every time period is a grace period, past, present, and future. Let me give an example, time past, and I'll get to my message next session. Okay, I'll get in there. <laughs> time past. 2 Timothy 1.9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before the beginning of time. Whoa. Say quietly under your breath, a Presbyterian, whoa. <laughs> Salvation, the entire salvific act, is a demonstration of God's gracious purposes. Grace envelops the creational timeline, the created order. It preceded time itself. Grace is the antecedent to creation, not an afterthought. Grace preceded time. What about time present? Romans 11.5, at the present time, 
there is a remnant chosen by grace. And Hebrews 4.16, there is grace to help us in our present time of need. So despite all the challenges and oppositions uh, that Paul is dealing with, with God's promises to Israel, the present time is still a time of manifested grace. And even so for us, regardless of the context of our lives, grace is operative. The writer to the Hebrews exhorts us to constantly, always, continuously approach the throne of grace, guess there's a prayer connection there, to receive the grace that we need for the present time in our lives. And what about time future? 1 Peter 1.13, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. It just struck me, in, in, um, partly because it was on my mind, uh, as we were singing those, those uh, hymns and worship songs this morning, there was one that did deal, in some sense, with some aspect of time. I mean, we sang about the hands of time winding down, we, we, sang, we sang about seeing the face of grace, we sang words like, you know, forever, we spoke about, we sang about the present work uh, of, of the Holy Spirit, uh, the healing work, come. By the way, just in silence, I'm going to put my mind more on heaven. Has anyone got a healing testimony already? No, no, no. You always check. You always check. <laughs> you can only have a right perception of present time, which is passing, fleeting, transitory, temporal, if you have a right perception of time future, the day of Jesus Christ. We live in the light of that time, which affects all present decisions. And it is why the passages that deal with future time in the New Testament pretty well always include mentions of obedience now and holiness now. So we're saying grace is a future experience. When Christ is revealed, there'll be a full compensation of grace for those who've committed themselves to the grace of the gospel. The future grace is an object of our hope which gives us assurance in our present time and present lives. So what I am saying is a biblical understanding of time will inevitably enlarge our understanding of the immeasurable reaches as well as riches of the grace of God, past, present, and future. Discipleship assumes disciplined choices. The stewardship of time does require, I think, a conscious evaluation of priorities, of preferences, and of practices. And as you know, Pastor Glenn has already encouraged you, the fact that you're here at this retreat speaks of your honorable commitment and your attention, presumably, to your evaluation of time priorities. So how do we think righteously about our stewardship of the 86,000 seconds per day, which will amount to about another 1.5 billion seconds if you're currently 30. Don't take your phones out to do the math because you won't get off them. Lessening by 31.5 million seconds per year for every year you're older than 30. There's no point doing the math. Simply because you don't know when the world will end or more particularly, when your world will end. So you cannot predict the seconds available. Gene and I have gone through a very sobering week. Mm 
very uh, few weeks. I don't know how many of you know of the it was uh, begun by a dear friend, old university friend of mine, Lou Harris. And um, he was actually South African, the land of my birth, and um, near the airport, and their, their Toyota cab truck went off a bridge. And Miranda, his wife, and the two other, three of the four key leaders of Arosha were killed by blunt trauma. Falling about maybe 100 feet uh, into the water. And you know, when you have tragedy hits your life, or when life ends for somebody, any life ending, it's, it gets your attention. We, we don't know, we don't understand. Uh, you lament. My lament right now is just one long why. It's a lament with nothing but whys in it right now. And so, but it does serve to, to, to bring to you. Not fear, not morbidity, but some salutary indication at the start of what's your own life. And maybe one of the reasons I'm going to be dealing with this time cut thing issue with you is in a few days' time I turn 69, which, to be frank, means I'm entering my 70th year. Again. I'd like to give a little more attention <laughs> to uh, the time passing. When we hear the word stewardship, what's the first thing we usually think about? Shout it. Money. And we've all heard the truism, show me your checkbook and I'll show you what your priorities are. The idea here is that our use of money is one of the best measures of our values. But what I want to impress on you is not just about your checkbook, it's about your calendar. Is the matter of time in most people's asset analysis? Sadly, it wasn't so for the rich fool in Jesus' story who had, quote, good things laid up for many years. The future looked rosy. He said life was easy. What he didn't reckon on was that life was not a guarantee and that it was short, and in his case, really short. Because the night following the very satisfying report of his financial management consultant, God issued a report of his own which read, quote, this very night your life will demand, be demanded of you. Money and time are vitally related and impact each other. And we may want to conclude that the primary currency of life, of course, is not money, it's time. And in an American consumer society, inevitably we have our own version of how these two relate. In the words of Benjamin Franklin, time is money. Give me a break. Just a little suggested exercise for you. This is one for you to do later, maybe next week. You know, our thoughts and communications are almost daily filled with a personal commentary on time. So choose a day this week, from waking to sleeping, sleeping. just take a mental note of the time-related comments and phrases, sayings and idioms that come out of your mouth or the folk that you are interacting with, working with, or hanging out with. It's fascinating. And maybe just, you've heard my voice enough, take a moment with someone next to you, come up with as quickly as many expressions, sayings, proverbs, vernacular phrases that use the word time. I mean, does a stitch in time stay alive? Off you go. Come up with as many sayings, phrases.
Okay, did you get one? So we're always talking about time. About what has already happened, about what is happening, about what needs to happen. Uh, you forgot your appointment. It wasn't on my schedule. We've already mentioned the schedule issues this morning, right? I'm Glenn congratulated you on all you did to rearrange your schedule to come here. As a reward, you can leave the session and not come to any of the teaching sessions. There wasn't enough time. We missed the opportunity. I need a break. Where did the time go? It's not a good time. It's a bad time. In fact, it's the devil of a time. We were late. It's crunch time. It's high time. It's down time. It's a test of time. We're pressed for time. Is it before it's time? Behind it's time? Do we need some face time? Do you have spare time to get there in the nick of time for game time? It's a race against time. Time flies. It's a matter of time, an appointed time. It's a reserved time. Am I on time or out of time? Always out of time. I thought I had time on my hands, but the sands of time are running out. The time is ripe for some time off. I could do with a whale of a time, with a rare old time, with the time of my life since the time bomb dropped that I was being too timed. They say time heals all wounds. They gave me a hard time and didn't give me the time of day. Where's the time gone? Hurry up. We've got to go. I can't spare the time. What a waste of time. I'm counting the days. Am I available then? Can we fit it in? It's a question of time. In next to no time. No rush. Last minute. What is the alarm set for? If we're not saving time, we're killing time. We're filling time and buying time. We're biding our time. We're marking time, not making up for lost time. We're losing time. Of course, we don't want to do time. It's the 11th hour. Time is of the essence. Frankly, only time will tell. It's a little early, but I wish it was Miller time. <laughs> We're living on borrowed time. Time marches on. Time waits for no man. Can we beat the clock? Tempest Fugit. Carpe diem. Time out. It's about time. And of course we don't have time to read a book on time management. So, so Stuart, you're asking me what the heck's the point? All in good time. <laughs> Time is a creational measurement, but it doesn't often feel like a gift. More like a demanding bill that we have to pay. And more often than not, it's an enemy, not a friend. And the, clearly the digital tools we now have to organize our day and our lives and apparently increase our efficiency often only serve to overwhelm us. So with better long-term planning, we increase our short-term procrastination. There's a very fine line, as we've all found out, between being ordered and being controlled. Any great personality you've ever read about has something to say about this matter. And uh, I love collecting their quotes, but I haven't got time to go through them today. Um, well, m maybe one. Uh, yeah, quite, I, love, I love Albert Einstein. The only reason for time is so that everything doesn't happen at once. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Charles Schutz, don't worry about the world coming to an end today. It's already tomorrow in Australia. Or the wag Stephen Wright. I put instant coffee in a microwave oven and almost went back in time. I went to a restaurant to serve breakfast any time, so I ordered French toast from the Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that great mentor of so many of us, C.S. Lewis. The future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour, whatever he does, whoever he is. Now, for those of you who are now passing time thinking about something else you'd rather be doing, my, my comments for the rest of this retreat are not a bunch of cute ideas about how to manage your time. 
It never is just about a few organizational techniques or schedule manipulations. The fact is, if you do not manage yourself, you will not manage your time. If you do not value yourself, you will not value your time. If you're short on purpose, you will be long on procrastination. If you don't have a sense of place, you won't have a sense of pace. So I'm not going to give you any tips at all on what to do. My comments are going to be rooted in the New Testament, though the Old Testament equally brings a common message about our view and use of time being the determining factor of whether we live as wise or as fools. The contrast between wisdom and folly is consistent through Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. So just listen to some scriptures. Ephesians 5, 15-17. And I'm going to be talking more topically, I believe, in exegetical preaching. You can't grow a church without exegetical preaching and teaching. But I'm going to just throw a lot of scriptures at you over the, over the time. Be careful then how you live. Listen, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Colossians 4.2.5, very interesting. This is how it begins. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful. Now, the word watchful there, in a way, is a time word because it's about being not just presently perceptive about what's going on, which if you are presently perceptive in present time, you will pray, but it's also about future looking that will call you to prayer. Be wise, here it comes again, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, repeat phrase, making the most of every opportunity. 1 Peter 4, 7, conduct yourself in reverent fear during the time, present time, of your stay on earth, because the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled, interesting again, so that you can, guess what? Pray. Do this. Romans 13, 11 to 14. Understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over. The day's almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light and let us behave decently. Again, you could have a session, all of you, on each of those verses. But in passing, I'm throwing those out just to note what scriptures are saying. That the consideration of a right and disciplined use of time is integral with a knowledge of God's will. Ephesians 5, which assumes a knowledge of his word. It's integral with prayer. Prayer will be the proof of a right stewardship of and right relationship with time. It is integral with witness, our relationship with outsiders, and above all, I wonder if you picked up on it, in every context where it's talking about time, it talks about personal holiness. All of those things are the constituent elements of discipleship. So the fact that you manage your schedule brilliantly does not mean that you're necessarily managing your time righteously or stewarding your life well. For a Christian, godly time management is a consequence of godly life management. Now, growing up, my friends thought I was nuts. Nothing's changed. Um, and I'm, al I'm almost... Uh, uh, 
I'm not trying to be a Pharisee here. It's just a, an illustration of where I learned this uh, as, as a young man. But I was, I was really convicted in the bustle of my English high school life, which was driven. You know, the goals were set for our life by the powers that be from an early age uh, academically. And uh, I'm hugely competitive. And um, there wasn't time for anything. And I felt convicted as a young man about the need to honor Sunday as a day set apart, not in any legalistic sense, as a sort of holy sabbatical time and a rest time from my life as a high schooler. It was really a conviction of the Holy Spirit. It was, certainly wasn't my good idea. Really, we need another treat to talk about resting time. Well, you need to talk about resting time. This is resting time. I'm ruining it. Um, doing, look, this sounds, again, doing better in an exam for me at that point was not more important for me in my, my young Christian life to learn to be better in response to an obedience issue in my life. And I, I think it wasn't again what I've chosen. I, I'm not saying I just thought everything was hunky-dory. There were plenty of Sundays where I... <clears throat> but I think it was the blessing of the Lord. I always went into major exams on Monday morning. Of course, they all start on Monday morning in England with a refreshed and rested mind. And frankly, I, I believe that's what brought me success. It brought me a, a place at C.S. Lewis's college a year before I was meant to be there. I lived in his rooms for two years, hoping something would rub off, but you, <laughs> life is full of disappointments. Um, but honoring the Lord's Day, trying to learn something about a sense of time and timeliness and time apart, was crucial for my life, an ongoing discovery of the Lord's purposes. And actually, it started to look quite good to some of my friends. The Greek word for measurable time is chronos, as you know, from which we get words like chronology and chronometer. And it's used to describe the succession of minutes, clock time, the time passing. A card saying five minutes has just been held up. However, there's another word for time, again, that you know, used 80 times in the New Testament, kairos, which has more to do with the content, the significance of what happens in chronos. It can refer to a point in time, a period in time, like the right time, a favorable time, a convenient time, an occasion, a window of opportunity, a particular season. If chronos is about time spent, kairos is about time invested. If chronos is about the succession of time, Kairos is about the significance of time. If Kairos is clock time, then Kairos is kingdom time. And the key Kairos time is described, of course, by Paul in Romans 5, 6, just at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. Scripture's clear that we cannot have a spiritual handle on Kronos if we do not have a spiritual character. Think of the characteristics of Jesus for example, as presented by the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how many of them are necessary for stewarding time correctly or handling time rightly, like peace, like faithfulness in a long direction, like self-control, and of course, patience, which maybe we'll say something about on Tuesday. The delays that we perceive in terms of time are met with patience, which is a delay of certain natural responses and reactions to that delay in time. 
How many of you know that chronological delay incites unspiritual reactions? Anyone apart from me? Like taking things into our own hands? Like determining what is going to happen? And when? Chronos is always picking a fight with character. I mean, think about how much anger is generated in our lives by our responses to time. It's a serious confrontation between the two. Leo, Leo Tolstoy wrote, the two most powerful warriors are patience and time. Again, I have no time to develop this, but what I'm trying to say is lest we minimalize and sentimentalize, for example, this matter of patience in time and treat it as if it's just a nice social tool for nice people, Time is presented in scripture as a principality and a power. And it appears in two of Paul's most strategic lists of antagonistic spiritual powers. In 1 Corinthians 3.22, he includes the present and the future. And Romans 8.38, neither the present nor the future will be able to separate us from the love of God. And you know from your own reading or experience or friendships, what people do drastically with their lives in the face of the setting and on setting time. We're going to squeeze the last juice out of it. Terrible things happen in response to time. Time is a principality and a power that wreaks havoc and control and fear on people's lives. So it becomes an enemy that provokes people to do terrible things in the impatient rush to get the most out of life on their terms. And that's why, as Christians, we're exhorted, one, to experience the Lord's presence in our experience of time. Surely I am with you always, it's a time word, even to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. And to experience the power of God, to redeem the time, to know that we can indeed make the most of every God-given opportunity in a godly way. So patience is a spiritual power that takes on the invasive, intrusive, controlling, consuming agendas of time passing, of what's been termed the tyranny of time or the tyranny of the urgent. Let me just close with this, this thought, and I'll pick it up next time, because we'll just keep rolling. Three areas of time, restoring the past, restoring the present, restoring the future. Let me close with a short comment on restoring the past, and then we'll move on. How many of you know that time past has an incredible power? There isn't one of us in this room that hasn't experienced it. There may be many of you in this room still experiencing its ravages in one way or another. I mean, for example, we all know that the power of an unredeemed, unforgiven, unrenewed, unrestored past can be active in the present. It invades present time. It seeks to rule the present. And it sure sets out to rob the future. So for a Christian looking at this issue, the dimensions of time, one question that comes to us pastorally is, is our life in a right relationship to time past? It's one of the reasons why I think like you, we, we as a community are, are totally committed to the practice of healing prayer. Now, don't get me wrong, please, but as a pastor, particularly in D.C., I just came to a pragmatic conclusion that probably 19 out of 20 new people that walk in the back of the church are carrying stuff They've never been able to unload. And how long are we going to wait to love each other enough to deal with that? We actually came to a very pragmatic decision that in our newcomers class we would deal with it. <laughs> it was no, as a value. Because of what people bear 
in terms of their unresolved relationship with time past. And it's not just personal experience. For many, it's familial and it's generational experience. The continuing experience of the past, of the consequences of familial, personal, generational influences, patterns of behavior and bondage, of attitudes and actions, dispositions and diseases, idolatries and ideologies, accidents and addictions, weaknesses and compulsions, lust and license. I'm probably not the only one that's wept with men four generations in to unbelievable sexual lust and license, trying to come to grips with their personhood and their identity. All the past traditions in our, of ungodly cultural practices, religious beliefs, prejudices, racial prejudices, unrequited grievances and griefs, national, tribal, ethnocentric independence and isolation that are perpetuated and are continuing to oppress and depress us, sometimes like shadows that can never quite be evaded or avoided, and sometimes like a weight that cannot be lifted, and sometimes like something on the inside that cannot be expelled, as if it were just part of our biology. Someone once said, I have Jesus in my heart, but Grandpa in my bones. It's so wonderful to be walking with Jesus, isn't it? day by day, that there is no sorrow, that heaven cannot heal. And we could all tell our stories about the need for, the, for, for separation and deliverance from past oppressions, the revelations of it. The cleansing, for example, again, because it's so ravaged in our culture of histories of sexual uncleanness, of soul ties, endless soul ties, previous relationships. Oh, the power of repentance <laughs> to break the power of the past. Hallelujah. You see, I'll talk about that next time. So much has to do, guys, with restoring the past in our walk, breaking the power that have no power in my present. They're not going to subvert present time by exercising power in my present. One of the powerful evidences of the Spirit's work in Joel 2.25 is presented like this, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And that text refers to a variety of locusts that represent a variety of sources of devastation that attack our lives and rob our time. And the net result of this invasion is wasted time for us. And there were three kinds of robbers, the great locust, traumatic, invasive, how many of you know, in our church, we, we, we live in an age littered with trauma, primary and secondary trauma. The young locusts, small, but still subversive, sins of the youth, and the swarm, the effect sometimes of a single attack that lasts for years. And I just want to encourage you as I encourage my own heart, as we start to deal with time present, this kind of stuff subverts and undermines Family time. It keeps us shame around. It keeps us venturing ourselves. All manner of things. We're living a lie. 
It just interferes with family time. We withdraw, have low expectation, and we don't talk. And my encouragement is, as Christians, we have to have a relationship with time past that is holy and that is healed. Name that locust. Name that locust, dear heart. Name that locust. And if there's anything, it might be just for one person here that's desecrated the past, that you know in your heart still seeks to come and desecrate present time and present peace, anything that devoured integrity or innocence that still eats away and disrupts your experience of time passing and your holy stewardship of your life right now, can be dealt with spiritually by the power of Jesus. And it will not invade and infest present time. If it does, it will rule the present. Then it will rob the future. So as Christians, as we start to talk about time, we have to just check that box. We're not burdened. We are doing it. And we can do some of the time. It's still in Shall not perish. That's the death of the worst things the time can do to you. The thing that there's most reason to get rid of putting the Bible the fear of death. And then it's your time to end. But we will not. But time which means time, everlasting life, fundamental to our salvation. That means those of us who know Jesus and love Jesus, we have a completely different relationship to time than our believers. Hallelujah. We'll get into the subject next time. Okay. <laughs>